0: we live now hello and welcome to the vr download thank you for joining us today i'm ian hamilton this is a hardware trend show on monday where we'll get into the latest things going on in the it's been a very busy week for vr news let's get right into it the first subject we've got up today is oculus v29 update adds 120 hertz AirLink support so that's the recently announced and rolling out update. I've, I've been able to get it on my headset. Uh, let us know in the comments if you've been able to get it on your headset at home. It takes typically takes a couple of weeks for these updates to roll out globally because Facebook tries to test it on like a subset of the global user base to make sure it doesn't Kill headsets and all that before they kind of like let it let it go to everyone. And uh, even in some situations, they'll roll out the update, but they won't actually roll out the feature for everyone. They'll like uh, release those one at a time after you've got the update. It seems so. Uh, obviously, virtual desktop I think was out with 120 hertz support uh, slightly before AirLink got this 120 hertz update uh, in V29. Uh, Heaney, do you have V29, and what else is in there for those at home?
1: So I do have V29, and as you point out, Virtual Desktop, which is a paid app which has allowed you to stream wireless PC VR games to your Quest for almost two years now, had the feature three weeks ago. We we see that pretty consistently, where, where Guy Godin, the developer of Virtual Desktop, is able to come out with more features, more customization, and even support Facebook's own features earlier, and you know, we've seen that level of dedication from him from the start of his app. The, the other V29 features of, of note are the new interface, which has changed. Some people say that they like it, and some people say they don't. So the main menu now shows icons instead of uh, text for things. And um, I'm trying to recall what else was in V29, because it's the updates are kind of blurring here. Because because as you say, uh. we see this thing where sometimes the updates gets rolled out, and you have the updates, so you have a few features. And then a week later, a server-side toggle at Facebook changes such that you now have the rest of the features. So it's actually getting kind of difficult to delineate each numerical update from each other because it seems like they're coming so fast and some some features are so delayed that it's difficult to even remember.
0: You know, there's the one that I'm most interested in, at least at this moment. Obviously, there's the big things in there, like uh, Infinite Office that are getting better with each sort of update. And uh, I've got the track keyboard. But it took a while for them to 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 add all those features. Like I didn't have the desks for a while. Wasn't able to bring my desk into VR. But the thing I'm really curious about right now, and it was it was completely obvious from the moment that we saw the new universal menu. But there's that new universal menu with those square little icons down in the tray, and they look perfectly sized for Android apps. If 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 you could have like a dock, it looks like a maybe almost a well, I guess Android has this too, but it looks perfect for you to put a couple Android apps down there into that menu bar and have them up as widgets in your space. I really want that. Heaney, do you think we're going to get it?
1: Well, we did see a few weeks ago a leak of some user who purported to have got that feature rolled out to him. We've also heard from some people that like to look through the Quest firmware versions and try and find future updates that they've seen references to running Android apps, maybe even a oculus store that serves certain types of android apps and we've seen facebook do this on their portal devices if you have a portal it's running what seems to be some version of android and there's an app store there where you can get certain popular apps that work in the context of a video phone it's interesting it'll be interesting to see how facebook integrates that if they're going to offer this as just straight up android apps with no changes or if they're going to encourage developers to make more difficult changes
0: hello rob hello ryan hello radical uh kins uh so we get this question almost every week let's maybe we should just do a really really quick recap at the beginning of each episode to explain this is a custom built virtual studio built by none other than heaney god right here we call him heaney god because he's his name is is david heaney but uh most of the time he's actually behind the cameras outside of virtual reality running the cameras and switching back and forth between them with just you know keyboard buttons you know one two three on the keyboard to select which camera but he has actually automated himself out of the real world in recent weeks and the cameras will switch automatically depending on the context of who's talking and whether something has been thrown up onto the tv uh, stevie the tv here and so uh, we're using oculus quest hand tracking to track our fingers so this is uh, some like customized version of hand tracking that he needs built. So it's it's the built-in hand tracking, but he's tweaked it so that uh, our hands don't fly off in different directions when the tracking gets low, and they actually show low low confidence values even when the headset isn't quite sure where our hands are. It'll sh- it'll still show our hands exactly where we expect them to be, and it's it's a really amazing implementation because you know I can. I can give you the middle finger if I choose to, but I'm not going to okay. do that right now. Uh, this is a you know a very family friendly show here, uh, so I'm only going to give you uh, very lewd gestures when you really deserve it. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> that's our studio built in Unity by uh, Heaney got over here, and uh, let's get to the next subject. So Heaney, Heaney put this right in front of me right before we came in here. Japanese team aims to turn phones and webcams into full-body trackers. Now, we've talked about this off and on a little bit, that we don't understand kind of why Facebook's portal devices don't do this, why Facebook isn't able to sort of activate full-body tracking if you've got a portal directed at you while you're in your quest, why you couldn't also use that for kind of like a full-body tracking system. Uh, Heaney, I I I was being the... Uh, skeptic with you, as I as I'm always the skeptic. Why why do I we believe this isn't bogus? Because all I've got is like two dozen tw- tweets. There's there's a, like there's no website. We can't find anything more. How is this legit?
1: Yeah, it's super interesting to see this company or group or you know we're not actually sure if it is a company uh, come out of essentially nowhere. Uh, as Ian mentioned, we tried to find an online presence, but we couldn't see anything. But of the videos they have shown in on their Twitter, they do seem to be legit. So the, the full body tracking scene and, and the body tracking scene in VR in general is very much so a DIY situation right now. If you do have uh, Steam VR base stations, you can buy Vive trackers for a hundred to one hundred and thirty dollars each, and you can you know strap them to different parts of your body, keep them all charged. But for a lot of people, that's not very practical. And if you don't have VR base stations already, that's kind of a $300 base cost on top of any of those other things. So we've seen solutions like Microsoft's Connect being repurposed. We've seen some DIY projects that use retro reflectors attached to people. And there's actually a startup in Sweden we reported on last month that's going to do that. So you'll put their own camera hardware in the, corner of your, in the corners of your room and attach little retro reflectors to yourself. But what's interesting here is that this team is aiming to do markerless body tracking, so you don't attach anything to yourself, using your existing webcam and smartphone cameras. So if you have a few old webcams lying around, if you have, I think by the signs of it, if you have an old Android tablet lying around that you can connect to your PC as a virtual, webcam you can use all of these together and the idea is that it is a multi-cam system you use two of these cameras at minimum and they have say they even support three four five and the idea here is that they would just sell you the software from what we've heard it looks like they want to do a free trial with a hundred dollars roughly being the price of the software and so you know this kind of body tracking has only really become Practical in recent years with advancements in computer vision, meaning that deep learning algorithms can segment a human body and understand where the different parts of it are. And you can see a demonstration of that running right here. Uh, I'll zoom it out a bit so you can see the view of the person being tracked up here. So, you know, this is one of the things that we would love to get more details on and really kind of dive into. For now, we, we see what they're presenting. But it's, it's one of the ones I'm definitely going to have my eye on. And, you know, as, as you said, Ian, Facebook actually sells a $100 camera that you can put in your living room with a wide field of view camera, the Portal TV. We've heard Andrew Bosworth, the head of VR at Facebook, asked before why it isn't used yet. And it's one of those things where his explanation is that the amount of people who would have both of these products isn't big enough for them to justify that expense. Though, you know, I would say a lot of people in the VR community would argue if you add that feature to Portal TV, we will we will start buying them. But, you know, it's, it's difficult to know what the real scale of that is.
0: So, yeah, those of you wondering, uh, we've got the this article at the top of UploadVR.com at the time of this recording. Uh, if you're listening to it on podcast later, there are obviously be other things on there. But you can go to UploadVR.com, find the Twitter account. It's called Akia Research Institute VR Lab. That's A-K-I-Y-A. And their first tweet is four days ago, but they've already gone viral with thousands and thousands of retweets already. uh, Kind of came out of nowhere, and we can't find any more information. We've invited, you know, in that article, we're saying, please reach out, email us, tips at uploadvr.com, so that we can sort of ask ask the key questions we have and sort of learn more about what's going on here and, and how far along they really are
1: yeah my first impression on looking this was you know the akia research institute as they've named themselves was that this was coming out of some sort of public research institute but looking deeper i I can't find any evidence of anything called that and i I think they may just be kind of basing their name off some other research institutes that companies have in japan so i I don't think it's actually an institute rather it seems to be a startup Mm.
0: and all right let's let's get to the next subject uh I want to talk, I'll talk briefly about this. I have been trying to get back into supernatural and play it on a daily basis. Uh, It's, it's very hard going to get out of my habits and get back in there. But I think I will uh, next week probably get someone for supernatural into our studio for a live interview. So uh, come back. We'll have uh, news about that uh, when we're able to uh, lock it down and have the, have a blog post out there for people to, to, plan to come back and, and see that interview but obviously i think supernatural is doing uh very well uh keying in on this idea of, of working out in vr and doing something that's very much like beat Saber, but specifically for the purpose of of getting your exercise done and it's really interesting to see I, i've talked about it in the past but if you can go find the official supernatural facebook group out there there's more than ten thousand people and it's every day people are supporting each other and talking about what it's like to work in VR. And it's it's constantly a surprise to me to kind of see this community develop around a very specific use case for VR. So I, I've, I'm very tired after my workout. I, I got my arms very sore now after doing like an hour in there yesterday. And it's amazing to see these people uh, on that Facebook group talking about how tired they get in there. And I also got an article today about Hand Physics Lab. So if you haven't checked out Hand Physics Lab, it is a very, very cool experience where uh, you, can use the, you can play the entire game and solve all of these puzzles with either just hand tracking or with your Oculus Touch controllers. And I was talking to the key developer of that uh, experience, and they're working on 120 hertz support. It's not quite ready yet. There's a lot of physics in that game, obviously, as the name implies. So uh, there's there's a lot to work out with getting it up to 120 hertz support. But they've already got uh, the high-frequency hand tracking. So I, I put this in my review when I originally reviewed the experience. Uh, I just wanted to mention this, that they've actually shared that they had 100,000 copies of the game sold in about six weeks. And I think that's a pretty significant thing to talk about in Mark down in the sand, that here's an experience that can be played completely from start to finish with nothing but straight up hand tracking, no controllers, and they've cleared a million dollars in revenue since it's the app is nine ninety nine, dollars uh, and then you've got Facebook taking what I think is a 30% cut uh, of sales. Before that cut is taken, that's more than a million dollars in revenue just for this hand tracking experience in uh, six weeks. The key thing I think in my mind, when I look at this experience, uh, the thing I put in my review is that it was limited by the Oculus Quest cameras. So you've got on the Quest 2 and Quest 1 hand tracking as an optional added mode of input, but we keep seeing evidence, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, uh, that Facebook is very serious in the long run about making controllers sort of an optional add-on for the the VR headsets they sell. So they think, uh, reading between the lines here, that when you can sell a headset and just the headset and have an incredible hand-tracking experience and have it be very lightweight, that they're actually going to unlock a larger market than we're seeing out of the, the, the Quest 2 and the Quest 1 where you kind of have to have the controllers there for a base good or great gaming experience. That they think the market once they get past that is gonna be even bigger when they've got hands. And I think this hand physics lab is gonna be one of those things that's very, very, very likely to grow over the next few years with the headsets getting better at hand tracking. So I'm very anxious to, very excited to see what happens with hand physics lab over the next couple of years. And uh, obviously, when 120 hertz support is out there, and we get the better hardware, I have a feeling this is going to become kind of one of those cornerstone experiences that a lot of people are going to get introduced to VR are going to try Hand Physics Lab as one of their first things. So I've been doing that uh, over the the last week. Keeney, you've been playing anything? I've tried Hand Physics Lab
1: myself. It feels like it feels like running a GPU benchmark back in the day of sort of PC gaming. It's it's one of those things where I find this app to be incredibly technically impressive, but I'm not so sure about the practicality of a lot of the interactions here. I feel like it's trying to just replicate what works better with controllers in terms of interacting with objects. And a lot of the time when I'm using this, I feel like I can see how technically impressive what they're doing is and I am constantly impressed. But as an actual sort of user experience, I find myself thinking it just doesn't feel right. You know, I feel like hand tracking will probably find its own way in not trying to just directly replicate the physical feeling of objects that you need a grip trigger or a grip button on a controller to to really have. But again, mm-hmm. that's just my view on this.
0: It's kind of hard. I, I, it's to, That's kind of when my review and sort of the state of the, of the hand tracking right now, I'm really curious if we, if we can get a, like, you know, a quest pro on our head when, whenever those get here and get the frame rate of the hand tracking even double from where it is today how different those interactions will feel when we actually have proper hardware you know hardware that was built for hand tracking first I, i'd be curious uh, we don't know what the quest pro is going to have or what the future hardware facebook actually lands on or other competitors if we get hand physics lab on a competitor piece of hardware how good it will feel on those on those pieces of hardware but i still it's, it's hard to judge when it's this tacked on experience right now.
1: It, it is, but to, to me, the issue isn't the quality of the hand tracking itself. If the hand tracking was perfect, I still wouldn't find these kind of interactions compelling. It's, the problem is that in front of you, there is nothing. There is air. And, you know, this has been talked about a lot. And, you know, Facebook definitely wants to make hand tracking the default experience in the long term. I think that's pretty clear listening to what the executives are saying. And I think it's clear that they want to make controllers optional. But I don't know if hand tracking can be a like for like replacement for the tactility of a controller. I think it's probably likely that we'll see controllers go in their own divergent direction and hand tracking go in its. Much like just because we have touch screens, it doesn't mean we stop using keyboards and mice.
0: So, Heaney, how are you good? Can we talk about Facebook one more time? And then we'll get into the big sort of subject of the day is where we are with AR. Because I think we've. seems to be heating up in the AR area, but we've also got one thing to talk about here with Facebook wanting to track more keyboards. But the current quote right now is that it's harder than expected. So if you want to have a keyboard tracked by the Oculus Quest right now, uh, Quest 2, you can get this very specific Logitech keyboard. We've talked about it week in and week out. Uh, Maybe share in the comments the model number because I always confuse whether it's 380 or 830. Is it 830 or 830? It should yeah. be
1: noted, only the U.S. version works. International versions will not work. Specifically, the Logitech K830 United States version. Nice.
0: All right, so you get that keyboard, and it will be tracked. You move the keyboard through space. It'll move with you, and then you'll be able to type uh, in that new location. Very, very important feature uh, on the path to more or less... F- VR headsets replacing Chromebooks. This is something that Facebook has indicated that John Carmack, the the Oculus Consulting CTO, has very clearly stated that Facebook wants to be a displacement device. So a device that you buy instead of buying a Chromebook or a tablet. And you kind of need this feature plus really, really good pass-through features and a great, great web browser experience to have all those things. Now, Facebook recently added the Files app as well. So you can navigate uh, the file system inside quest a little bit and get files to upload and download from the browser and presumably in other apps as soon as devs, uh, I assume, will get support for that feature uh, at some point. But what's the problem here? Why is it hard harder to track other keyboards, Heaney?
1: That, that is a very good question because, you know, intuitively, it seems like something that would be relatively simple. You know, all keyboards have a QWERTY layout. They all kind of have a roughly rectangular shape. You can, most of them are going to have function keys. So it looks like there's a lot of sort of rich feature data for a computer vision system to track. What we did see in Andrew Bosworth's Ask Me Anything session, or it may have been on Twitter, was that he mentioned... Because your hands are actually occluding the keyboard quite a lot, it makes it a more difficult experience. Sorry, a more difficult challenge. But it still it strikes me as odd because it seems like something that would be a lot easier to do. But there are a lot of things in technology that even as an outsider will seem easy to do, but for kind of obscure practical reasons are a lot harder. I, I don't think it'll be a long-term challenge, though. I expect that in the long term, they'll be able to track pretty much any keyboard that you have. Yeah.
0: All right. Let's get to the big subject of the day here, where we've got some major news in the AR space, so the augmented reality space. Should should we talk about that a bit more? There's there's some comments on
1: here asking, you know, what's the purpose of using a keyboard in VR? Why would you, you know, what would be the idea of replacing a Chromebook? And, um, you know, the, the response there is you buy a Chromebook, you have a 13 inch or 15 inch screen in front of you and a little keyboard. You hunker over it like this and you do your work. It's portable. You can take it to a hotel but it's never going to be more than a little 13-inch screen attached to a laptop. Now imagine in a few years you have these kind of VR headsets we have today, except they're sleeker, and they're lighter, and they're higher resolution. So you just take any keyboard you have, a Bluetooth keyboard. In the future, it could be something you bought off Amazon for $20. You pair it to your headset, and you now have six monitors surrounding you of whatever size you want, and you can place them wherever you want. And if headsets in the future have these color, high-resolution cameras, you won't be stuck in a virtual space. You'll be able to press a button and toggle between whatever virtual office you want and straight back into the real world when you need be. And from the signs of it, from some of the leaks we've seen and from the Quest firmware, if someone enters your room or your pet comes in, you'll be automatically alerted. This is the kind of feature that VR headsets could deliver for productivity. Now, at the current point where we have these kind of 500 gram face boxes and the, the pass through is black and white and the, the keyboard tracking is very primitive, it can be hard to see that, but I think if you kind of extrapolate it out a few years, you, you can really see how people who want to get a lot of work done in a portable system could find the idea of having infinite monitors around them pretty practical with a keyboard.
0: And and that's why I think that earlier comment uh, that we were talking about with Android apps is is pretty significant where, yeah, you could have five browser windows, but what if you could also have two to three Android apps also floating as a couple of those things in your space, you've got some some serious potential there. And I think that's, you know, if Facebook actually pursues that that avenue and sees out what Carmack has been sort of pushing for, uh, that this that, that continue the support for for classic Android apps, I think that's going to be proven out as a really really big differentiator and feature for. Facebook's headsets in the long term because I just can't, I, there's so many examples where like yes, the Twitter uh, web view is pretty good, but there are certain instances where you may want the Twitter native app. It's not the best example Twitter is, but you know there's lots of games that you might want just floating in the background over there and then you bring them forward and you could play them for a few minutes and then put them back away and you're back doing your work again. And just having those Android apps as other windows that you can pull up in your space could be pretty significant. I, I'm one of the biggest proponents of Google Docs. I, I used it back in college when Google Docs was in this state where if you updated the first paragraph of your Google Doc, uh, everything below it would get erased. And and we were a, a, a group of college editors trying to do a, uh, trying to do our, our newspaper this way where like two, two people would get on the same document and overwrite each other's changes and it wouldn't notify each, either person that the changes were getting made it was horrible but it was still better than sending uh, Word documents back and forth to each other over email or even putting them on an FTP site and having to like check in and check out documents it was still better even at that state. 15 years ago. And so having a Google Docs system in a web browser in with your physical keyboard is gonna be phenomenal. I'm gonna love that. But I know there's so many people out there that just love the convenience of their laptops. It is hard to envision how that VR headset experience is gonna get better than a Chromebook.
1: It's definitely hard to envision, but I think you have to kind of remember that the headsets we have today are going to look kind of comically outdated in in just a few years. These 500 gram bulky face boxes, this is like, it's like the CRT monitor days. You know, it's hard to look from those and see how computers could have got to where they are today, but hopefully with the advancement of technology. And the compelling part about VR is that you can be in that virtual office space. And as you said, you know, when in the Google Docs area, you get this collaborative 2D editing. But what happens when instead of Getting someone on a Zoom call and screen sharing across the dock and trying to coordinate, you can just put on your headset and be in the same virtual office space as the rest of your coworkers. And you can see each other with avatars and point to what you're talking about and edit it in real time. It's again, it's it's yet it remains to be seen if any of this can really come about in the way we're describing, but the potential is certainly there.
0: Heaney, I'm drawing a blank on the the glasses scale headset I tried at CES. What what was the company? Panasonic Panasonic, yeah, I'm trying to search for them. I want to make sure people who are new to us can see what those look like. Are you able to pull those up?
1: I can write on so we we're actually able to search images on the tablets here and bring them up. It's just searching on oh, here we go. Here is you wearing one even
0: yeah, okay, so these are two micro displays here, very, very small inside each eye, and then you're able to actually. Oh, here. Let's see here. Uh, Let me get out of my keyboard here so my hands come back. All right. So you're able actually to twist this dial at the top here to adjust the distance between these two displays and get them directly in front of your eyes. Facebook has shown off concepts for headsets that are in this scale, like this size. And there is drawbacks. There's like ghosting inside these types of displays. And there might be a step backward in terms of field of view. But if you have a headset that isn't tuned for games first, then that field of view drawback might be worth it in certain instances. If you aren't playing it for games, I might take a step back on terms of field of view in order to have something that's this small to put on my head. So if you have like you know, a VR headset that's really in the glasses form factor, I I might take off, might take the trade offs a little bit differently there, but yeah, when Heaney says face boxes, and and I, these really are face boxes right now. That's how big and bulky they are. We're thinking forward to two to three, five years down the road when hopefully these glasses become more. I, I common. think you'd have
1: to go a lot more than two to three to see this, and and you know it's important to remember that this is the display system. This type, this headset here would be tethered to a phone, so in addition to this, you need to add the battery and the compute and things. But what, what I would say is there's actually, you know, people seem to contrast what we have today and here, but I would say there's a lot of room for greatness between them. You know, there's a lot of room for excellent between 500 grams and less than 100 grams. And we've heard actually from the reports about Apple's headset, that Apple's headset could be somewhere in the region of 200 grams. And even that compared to what we have today, you're talking about something that is less than half the weight. So again, it's comfort and sort of, The feeling of having something on your face is a very difficult thing to describe. There's no article we can write that can explain what a headset like that feels like on your head. And, you know, we can talk about it in a video, but at the end of the day, you're going to have to just put something like that on your head to really feel it. And that's a problem in VR in general. You know, this is in a way that other technology isn't a very kind of hands-on, you got to try it technology. But hopefully as we see headsets like this that use micro displays come out into the Western market, uh, we'll see more awareness of it. Because in the Chinese market, there actually are already several headsets using very small displays and pancake lenses, which is the type of lenses seen in these kind of headsets, uh, to get a much smaller form factor. Let me see if I can bring up an image of Huawei's headset while you talk.
0: Yeah, I'm really curious to see Facebook over time, whether their advantages of using the social network, the social graph. I always hate using that term. But if you've got a group of 15 friends and you know that five of them are likely to be interested in a VR headset. And, you know, on all these apps, there's always referral programs. Uh, various, various systems have these referral programs where you get $10 back if you uh, basically get someone else into uh, the, the system that you're on. I, I'd be really curious to see if Facebook takes advantage of that sort of system with VR whether like you could recommend VR headsets to five friends they get shipped a VR headset you get a notification when they actually get the headset on their head and you're in there with them immediately like i wonder whether they could reduce the return rate of like people trying these things out at home by having that kind of an experience where like there's just so many ways they could use that graph of your friends to kind of peer pressure your friends into VR peer and pressure. keep them with you and, and doing things together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's as people have said that the quest experience today is kind of bizarrely not very good at social connection and kind of getting you into the same experience as your friends very quickly when a Facebook is a multi billion dollar social company and b. The magic of VR is in this kind of social connection and being in these games and experiences with your friends. So it continues to perplex much of the VR industry, but hopefully Facebook will kind of get its social act together, which is a strange thing to say almost.
0: I think think it's going to happen this year. I think we're going to see that that's what the Facebook account requirement was all about doing, was sort of ripping the Band-Aid off and saying... Now's the time where we really need to get there. It's just there's none of those must visit destinations. But one of the things we have to do to be, to, to be clear there with our, our viewers, Facebook does kind of that there is an opportunity for these VR headsets to become phones and for them to ring just as a phone would and you put them on and there's someone there waiting for you that you want to actually talk to. And we could get there uh, very quickly in the next couple of years. Uh, if Facebook just builds out the right software stack. And uh, I don't see why Apple, if if Apple really follows through on its system, they could be there too and do the same thing since they've got such reach and depth with FaceTime and iMessage. They could do some of the same stuff on their system.
1: Yeah, Apple, their kind of opportunity, I think, is to simplify all this and to do what they've done best over the last 20 years, which is to take these kind of nascent markets with overcomplicated user experiences and refine it into something that is simplistic, but uh, albeit overly expensive. Hmm.
0: All right, we're ready to talk about AR now? Yep,
1: I think think we are.
0: All right. So there were a pair of uh, announcements this week, uh, reports that we got out. Digilens had its reference design for standalone AR glasses. And then Snapchat Snap basically announced its own standalone AR glasses dev kit and bought the supplier Wave Optics, which is a, a name we've heard for many years now, that is the supplier of those AR glasses. And uh, I saw a, an interesting tweet thread. It might be one of our commenters here who, who mentioned this, uh, but I can't remember who said it on Twitter. But suggesting that Snap might buy Niantic, uh, that they should buy Neantic over time. And what I think is going to happen in the AR space and, and what this news of Snap kind of underlines is there are maybe half a dozen to a dozen companies that are positioned to get to the scale and have enough platform layer control to really own the AR space. The thing is, we're still years away from this being kind of a compelling offering to general consumers. Heaney, what needs to happen for AR to get there, for this to be something that we that that everyday consumers are going to want?
1: Well, let's just let's just start with where this is, so that we can kind of map that direction. Because, you know, we see Snapchat now announce their consumer AR glasses. I think it would be fair to call this the first. I guess it's not, they're not being sold to consumers. They're designed for creatives to build content for the Snapchat AR platform. But I guess in the way that they're presented and in the company they're coming from, you could call these the first consumer AR glasses. The problem is, of course, the specs on these are incredibly limited compared to what people would feel when they hear the idea of consumer AR glasses. These are not phone replacements that you can put on and have a wide field of view and, you know, do all the experiences that people dream about this. We have a field of view of 26 degrees, which is about half of that in HoloLens. And if you look at our review of HoloLens on YouTube or Upload VR, where Jamie goes into details of his experience in it, his first complaint and most people's first complaint in a HoloLens or a Magic Leap is, oh, wow, the field of view is really narrow. So we're seeing a field of view in this headset that is significantly narrower than anything presented in recent years. That said, it has one thing that HoloLens and Magic Leap doesn't have. Obviously, we have the form factor. It looks like a pair of glasses. But the display is 2,000 nits. It's actually four times brighter than HoloLens and 10 times brighter than Magic Leap. Why is that? So that you can practically use it outside. If you try to use a Magic Leap at one outside, you would find that it would be much dimmer than the outside light and the holograms would appear almost almost entirely transparent. It would be an an impractical thing to do. But Snap wants to build towards a future where they can sell AR glasses to be used outside. It's let me bring back the image of the, the, the look of it. While we while we have something that does look like a pair of sunglasses, it we should note, and this is kind of true of a lot of current AR products that look like sunglasses, The looks can be kind of deceptive. It is bulkier than a pair of glasses. It's more than three times the weight of a normal pair of glasses. And the kicker is the battery life is 30 minutes. So it's not that Snap have made a bad product here. It's not that anyone at Snap is incompetent. It's nothing like that. It's just that the augmented reality technology behind these products is so, so early. HoloLens is a $3,000 product that has a kind of head helmet form factor to it. We've seen other prototypes, and you know, we'll talk about DigiLens in a moment, where they try to bring a wider field of view to glasses. And you know, I think this year we're expected to hear a lot of these companies show off prototypes. But to actually ship something that can be used as a standalone device and bring in a high field of view, it's just not possible yet. Apple, Facebook, and Microsoft are known to be working on the primary technologies behind AR glasses. We've tracked... All three companies making strategic acquisitions over the past two, three, four years of this uh, suppliers of the components, as Ian mentioned. Just after Snapchat announced these glasses, we heard from The Verge that they have acquired Wave Optics, who makes the wave guides and display projectors for this for these glasses, for more than five hundred million dollars. Microsoft works very closely with a company called. Uh, Microvision for their Hololens, and these, Wave Optics is a similar company. We've heard that Facebook's working on their own their own kind of custom waveguide, and we saw a few years ago that they acquired Plessy, a UK company which makes microLED displays for AR glasses. So, if if you look there, you can see that all these companies are kind of they're building up what's needed. They're putting all the ingredients in the pot, but in terms of actually producing. The sci-fi AR glasses that you know you, you can wear all day and give you contextual information about everything along your path. It's just not going to happen anytime soon. And these kind of starter products are what we're going to see for quite a while.
0: Yeah. I, I wish we could pull up the Panasonic image again because to the average viewer, this these glasses and the Panasonic glasses don't look too dissimilar. Like If you're looking just at these images on our display here on Stevie the TV, you can't really tell that one is completely opaque and the other one is mostly transparent or see-through. But there, this is why we get into this kind of like fight all the time or confusion over terminology. Where without putting these headsets on, you can't really understand that they're completely different technologically, and this field of view is smaller than the -the state-of-the-art 110-degree-ish field of view that you get out of current VR headsets, but it's still much larger than the field of view you're going to get out of the current standalone AR designs that we're seeing. So even if you take a step backward from the -the state-of-the-art current consumer-grade VR headsets, you're still getting smaller, slimmer VR headsets that have opaque displays, uh, then you're getting out of the sort of, yeah, explain this chart, Heaney. What what are we seeing here with uh, the the current state of the market on AR and VR?
1: So yeah, it's important to realize just how early augmented reality is, especially in this key spec of field of view. And uh, just to reply to a quick comment here, by the way, someone was asking what the Snapchat spectacles are for so they're not designed to be a general purpose computer and it's not something where you run apps that are made in unity for they actually integrate with snapchat's existing ar platform which is already used on their phones and creators they call them creators not developers because you're using their tool snapchat lens studio can build things in that tool only they do have it's they do have their own scripting language within it so it's not like it's it's not like you're just making face filter effects or something like that, They are you are able to make rich experiences in it, but they're not general purpose apps. Now to go onto this chart here, uh, let me just zoom this out on the screen. Oh no, it's, vis- it's visible actually. So this, this shows you the field of view of HoloLens and Magic Leap compared to a typical VR headset. And the typical VR headset down here is, it could be an Oculus Quest, a PlayStation VR, they're all within five or ten degrees of each other. So when you compare them to AR glasses, the differences really aren't that significant. The Snapchat spectacles are about half of these. We don't have a chart for the Snapchat spectacles specifically, but if you if you went to around here in the middle and draw this kind of square, that's where the Snapchat spectacles are. So and to be clear, even typical VR today is nowhere near human field of vision. Mm, This you would have to extend this TV up slightly and out to the the side to about here to get to human vision to where it can go to. So these challenges are going to require these companies to invest, and they are investing billions of dollars in research and development to try and find ways to make better waveguides or even find a new technology that isn't waveguides to provide it. We simply don't know how long that's going to take. But again, what we can say very clearly is that AR is a lot earlier on than many people assume or that some people who some sort of hype artists may suggest.
0: Yeah, wonderful explanation, Heaney. And I think the thing I want to reiterate for our podcast listeners who can't see this chart and for those of you going through this, what we've got here is a a very large purple box that indicates the 100 degree or so 110 degree field of view of a typical VR headset today. And then way, way, way down slimmer than that, we've got these boxes that are all roughly the same general size, representing HoloLens 2, Magic Leap 1, and the DigiLens reference design. And within those boxes, even smaller is where you would have the Snapchat Spectacles dev kit. The thing I want to underscore is, more or less between these AR boxes and the purple box, Is this magic word, immersion. Somewhere in this field, between these small boxes and this large box, you get uh, presence and this feeling of actually being immersed with your content. And until AR is actually able to expand out significantly to get out there to the VR boxes, you're going to feel like your content is constrained like you're constantly remembering that it's not real and that's what disappears eventually when you get these larger and larger and we've got fans out there that swear by the star not the star vr the uh pimax pimax yes the pimax field of view headsets that are larger than the typical field of view of of vr they're they're using a different sort of design with larger just this massive we talk about face boxes those Pimax headsets look like you look like you're a marvel villain uh, with this giant thing on your on your head Uh, but there are people who swear by those headsets and I understand why they swear by those headsets because field of view matters so darn much having that added field of view that you're provided by these extra lenses for some people it's all that matters I don't care if it's heavier, um, less comfortable, they'll put up with all that and find ways to maybe even tweak the headset so all those things are reduced just to have the enhanced field of view. And I think it's so significant that when you put up that typical field of view chart, and yes, uh, Pimax exists, and yes, there's uh, examples of sort of wider field of view VR out there, that we have been five years now, or almost the better part of a decade, where we've had the same field of view as been like the best, uh, how would I say this, the best balance of trade-offs has been every headset managing about this certain field of view of 100, 110 degrees. And I think it just underscores there that VR, the VR manufacturers have realized we need to decrease weight. We need to make it standalone, uh, wireless. And we can't really deal with the improvement to the field of view just yet. There's these other things that need to be solved first. And when we talk about uh, the Snapchat glasses, they're, yes, they're making a standalone and you're getting a standalone experience that's super lightweight, but it's still in the same limited field of view region. And until they're able to kind of make that step and provide uh, this expanded field of view that, that we get out of the VR headsets, they're going to be chasing uh, what we're getting out of VR.
1: Some some interesting points in the comments here. So, someone saying Chris Richardson, it's the names loaded now. Says uh, Tilt Five claims 110 degree field of view, and Tilt Five is a super interesting way to work around the limitations of the current technology. So you're absolutely right. It's not it's not that they claim that. I don't doubt at all that Tilt Five can deliver that field of view, but they're using a system wherein it works in a very limited environment. It, it's designed for tabletop games where. It's not a, they're not building general purpose AR glasses because, you know, it's run by technical people who are very open and clear that that's not possible yet. But they're building a system that instead says, okay, what is one of these great use cases of AR? Oh, it's for these kind of board game, like, yeah, this is Tilt 5 here. These board game-like experiences where a group of people are around a shared area and they've realized that there are ways to... Develop a system that can work in that specific constrained environment, but without having to work in a more general environment. To, to pull up another comment here, some uh, Yon is saying Lenten AR uses a pin mirror with pinhole effect. You're right. The pin pin pinhole effect displays for AR. Sorry, optics for AR is something that we've seen shown off for years. We, we're definitely curious to look into that more, Yone. If you can email uh, tips at uploadvr.com with, with some more details, we'd love we'd love to look into Lenten AR more. But the, you know, it's not the only company to be using these pinhole mirror uh, optical design. It has its own kind of subtle problems that need to be solved, and we will definitely keep an eye on Lenten AR to see how they're solving those problems uniquely. But uh, it's one of many technologies that has the prospect to widen AR past that kind of hard limit of 50 degrees diagonal it's stuck in right now
0: yeah, I love the mention of Telt5. I'm so glad people out there have mentioned it. For the people that aren't familiar, you're basically able to get a 3D effect anywhere this gray table is, and it's very good for depth. So they'll they could basically do whatever they want down into the table. The issue you're going to have with this kind of system is the height. So uh, there's yeah, you can get a really great sense of depth down into the table. And anything that is backed by this retro-reflective material, you're going to get a depth out of. And uh, Tilt 5 actually has this little like kit you can get to add some height to the table and give you some things that kind of feel like they're coming up out of the table a little bit more. And you'll get that effect. You'll still get things coming out, out of the table out of this. But more or less, anywhere where the table ends is where the, uh, the, the effect's going to sort of fall off. You're not going to be able to have things coming off unless you've got some backing on this material to provide you this backdrop for this, this 3D effect. But absolutely, the field of view there for their AR effect, you're getting the best of both worlds. You're able to look through the glasses and see your friends sitting around the table, and you're able to get a very wide field of view wherever this backing material is. And that's why we're, we're fascinated to see how they, they, they do over the coming years. It's a a very old idea. I I've, I've now forgotten the name of their previous company. What was the previous company?
1: It was Cast AR and it was spun out of yes. valve.
0: Yeah, so Cast AR uh Jerry Ellsworth over there uh came from a left valve and basically took uh her patents, started this company Cast AR with uh uh a co-founder and they uh, did a Kickstarter, ran out of money, tried to get funding from uh, various uh, backers. Uh, were were funded there for a while, but had to basically start the company completely fresh again as this Tilt Five. And it's the same core technology. Jerry has basically backed this technology for a decade now and brought it into its own as this uh, concept. And this is concept art where you can you cannot see the 3d effect past where the borders of this ends so this isn't a good re- this is like a conceptual rendering of what this can do uh this is a, a more realistic this is through the lenses you can see the lenses here where yeah you've got the depth down into the system but i'm just so fascinated by by Jerry's effort by 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 their effort at this company because uh, they may have cracked a way to provide consumer AR at a wide field of view years before Apple and the others are able to do it with a system that provides the types of experiences we want out of these things. Like tabletop gaming is exactly what you would want out of this kind of system. So they're working very hard, they're dealing with uh, now the chip shortage worldwide and before that covid last year in the middle of ramping up to deliver their kickstarter units the second time into the development of this project but if you haven't heard of tilt 5 you don't know about them go check them out they're they're perhaps the most interesting project in ar to me right now uh even with uh snaps work and and getting this idea that uh we're going to have standalone ar glasses this is super interesting to me it's a
1: very clever way to build a compelling AR product with the technology available today. It, it is, it is. I gotta say, uh, the one, the one criticism I would have of the current form of it is the cost is a little bit high for a family pack of you know four or five. If they can, I think if they can get the cost down on this though, which uh, you know, if as long as there's no fundamental reason that they can't, they should be able to do over the long time of years, just like any new technology. I think this could be a super compelling product for families to buy around Christmas time, et cetera
0: if you could do this with four android phones if you could power the 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 glasses with four android phones yeah i would be i would be it would be such a great accessory it's just they're they're being very careful in how they're in their promises and what they're able to deliver they've got a very uh you know they've learned some mistakes They've, they've made some mistakes in the past and tried to promise a lot uh too early and I think they're learning from that here and trying to focus in and make sure they can deliver uh, this experience right now and get some great software built for it and then hopefully still develop that software stack to make you able to do that and bring down the cost that way so you can just have like an accessory for your phone uh, and do it that way that I would, would love be great you on this Yep, that would be that's the game. I, I saw them tweeting from their Twitter account, uh, Tilt Five, saying that that come on, come work with us and get this to happen. It would be the perfect match, and especially if you could do, you could have all the cross-platform support there. If you really could, like go into a Quest, go into a flat screen, and also go into a Tilt Five AR headset and play the same game, it would be phenomenal. I would love to see them pull that off. It's a, it's a perfect fit for that system.
1: I feel like the Google of five or ten years ago would have been would have been a great company to have acquired something like this. You know, in terms of giving them the content funding to to get whatever funding they wanted on, it feels mm-hmm. a lot like something that would have come out of Google five or ten years ago.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. I I always they've killed so many projects over the years that it's very hard to imagine anyone surviving at Google long enough to actually pull off uh, what they set out to do. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm so so excited to see uh, what comes of this because it's such a great idea and it's it provides that immersion that we really want out of these glasses at this point in time, as well as the sort of just pass through social connection to the people around the table. Should we talk about DigiLens? Yeah, let's talk about DigiLens. Uh, explain this one to us, Hini. How does it differ? It's a modular system. so. Uh, and it's also a reference design. So why are people going to pick sort of the DigiLens system versus uh, any of these others that we're seeing up here?
1: So let me just bring it up here. Here we go. So what's interesting about this is that this is from a company called DigiLens, as we've said. It's also one of those companies that's involved as a primary supplier in this industry that's, uh, you know, like Wave Optics may have been just before acquisition, trying to, you know, prove its value to potential partners and developers and kind of showcase, here's the technology we can provide you and any big company can look at this and say, okay, well, we could do this with this and this with this. So so to be clear, this is not a product. This is a reference design for developers and interested companies. But what's really interesting about this is that in the Snapchat Spectacles, you had Qualcomm's XR1 processor and that's a very kind of low-power low performance chip for spec for products like spectacles that rely on your phone and the content coming from snapchat server just as much as the onboard compute but in this we actually see the xr2 processor the same chip used in the oculus quest 2 is present here and we also see it paired with something with a field of view that is pretty much within the same range if not when a couple of degrees off, Hololens two and Magic Leap one, so it's bringing two things: it's bringing standalone computing power of something like Oculus Quest two, and the field of view of those kind of higher end headsets into this idea, into this kind of presentation of a glasses form factor. Now, we say glasses form factor, but obviously you can see that the, the light engine here, the, dis- the the projectors are quite bulky. The thing is, they, they've said that, as Ian mentioned, this is a modular design. I'll bring up the kind of closer view of it here. Um, th- this part can, these light engines, i.e., the projectors for the Wave Guides, can be detached. And the idea is that a company could use its own projectors or it could use a different supplier's projectors. But what DigiLens does, their actual kind of bread and butter is the Wave Guide here. And that's what they're kind of pitching here. It's here's what it would look like to see our Wave Guide in a real not product but a real physical thing you know this isn't that this isn't a concept people have tried this out this is an actual thing we've got a battery in here we've got speakers for spatial audio we've got a color camera here for capturing the world and we've got tracking cameras here that are very similar to what you'd find in Oculus Quest 2 so i think this is kind of a, a view of the kind of AR product we might see come next something that really bridges the gap between the dumb low fov viewers like spectacles and the sort of head computers of hololens too and i'm interested to see what kind of products could come out of this though again it's unlikely we'll see anything directly consumer in the short term mm.
0: it's wow. it's so many years away in my mind before these are super compelling products yeah, this is the other thing where they're trying to explain that you can actually see through their design to the actual eyes of the person versus some of this, uh, th- what do they call it? Eye glow?
1: Yeah, there, there's technical terms for it, but eye glow, eye glow does it. But it, The eye glow <laughs> is an example of one of those things in AR that, again, it's another one of those little disadvantages of the current technology that you may not know about if you've just glanced at it or if you're just reading about it. but you know as we keep trying to say here and you know we may be hammering over the same point but ar is such an early technology that there are all sorts of little edge cases like this left to fix and there there's so much room for improvement that even though we could see significant improvement every year it'll still be years and years until we get practical consumer products out of this
0: so i think the way to close this out or at least uh, as we start wrapping this up is uh the, the idea of Neantic teaming up with Snap was such an interesting one to me because the, the issue that all these companies are going to face is the, the need to reduce power consumption or, or make power consumption more efficient while you know, not burning a hole in your head, basically, with these processors because they need to put a lot of compute on your head while at the same time not draining the battery in 30 minutes they want this to last uh, a lot of a lot of hours and i you these companies are going to have to acquire different parts of the stack in order to provide the whole product down the line and to, to be clear here the race is on essentially to supply 6 or 7 billion of these glasses out there to the entire world's population. They they think that this that's how big the market is for these glasses that this is the the, the cell phone of the future uh that you will more or less replace your cell phone with a pair of glasses one day or maybe have it as a complement to your your cell phone. Uh at least for the near term and maybe over long term the the glasses could actually subsume them but the idea is that that's that's the the market is every single person on earth walking out there in in the world and the reality is is just that short term it's not going to work out that way you can't appeal to all everyone overnight because of all the other things we're talking about here the limited field of view the weight the heat all those things are going to restrict how much you can do with these glasses and that's why we're so obsessed and interested in this intersection between VR and AR where if you can have a VR headset that provides a very wide field of view and doesn't look terrible when you're out wearing it, maybe you can do some of the things these AR glasses are able to do uh, with a pass-through view, with, with using color cameras to pass through the view of the environment and overlay things onto that view. But the the, the the thing I guess I want to underscore here is you've got to have a company of Apple Scale, of Google Scale, in order to have this like there's this missing piece here where you can have people scanning the world for you with these camera systems. And then once you've got those the scan of the world done, you can do a lot of machine learning to the scan. To predict the way the things are going to change. And uh, you can reduce the amount of download and heat that you're constantly having to process on this device all the time with this map of the real world. So, uh, Niantic is one of these companies that is doing this, this scanning. They acquired 60AI. And now, when you go to Pokestops everywhere, they prompt you hey, can you actually scan this Pokestop? and get like a little in-game gift. Well, if you do that, you're you're more or less feeding this computer learning algorithm that's gonna use that information to one day lower the amount of compute you have to do on one of these devices. And that'll in turn uh, extend the battery life and decrease the amount of heat that'll be turned out by the system. And you'll, at the end of the day, get a better app that will do more for the end user and actually convince them to, to go out and buy this device. The, what I'm getting at here is that Snapchat wants to be the supplier of all 6 billion people, but they can only do it if they've got all the pieces going on down. Otherwise, they're going to be you know, an app on someone else's platform. So like at some point in the, down the road, Snap has to be acquired by Apple or Snap also needs to go acquire a Niantic to get, you know, you either have to go up the stack and, and get o- owned by a bigger company or own the smaller companies in order to build out your system. What we saw with the acquisition of Wave Optics was them purchasing one big piece of that puzzle. But there's just so many pieces they have to own in order to get the biggest piece of this pie that they can when the technology actually gets there.
1: Yeah, it really is kind of the idea of con- practical consumer AR glasses is the holy grail of the tech industry. And, you know, as you say, it's going to take all of these disciplines and field, fields working at once to produce a product. And I believe Zuckerberg in the past week or maybe earlier this month described it as kind of the hardest technical challenge of the decade. And, and I think a lot of people would agree with that. If you look at Alex Kipman who runs Microsoft's Hololens division, he recently was interviewed about his kind of prospects on AR and you hear this same kind of mentality where he says, you know, we'd love to build these consumer AR products and this is something that we obviously are working on, but it's just so so difficult to actually get the technology to that stage. So, you know, as you say we see Snapchat seeing, you know, to in many senses early this is still so early in the market they're saying we need to put in a lot of money 500 million was the it was sorry it was north of 500 million the verge reported and for a company like snapchat snapchat does have hundreds of millions of active users so you know they do have potential they do have investors that will back them but snapchat hasn't actually made a profit yet so you know they need to they need to kind of build this business while fighting their financial realities. And as you say, these big tech companies, these Microsoft, Apple, and Facebook, they are pouring billions of dollars of research and development already every year into this. And it's, it's looking like it's going to be a pretty fierce competition between Apple and Facebook, just based on the runway of research that we've seen so far. But mm. you know, we haven't seen micro- any serious sort of talk from Microsoft about their consumer plans yet, so it's hard to say.
0: Well, I'd be really. Um, Microsoft is kind of the the mystery there, right? They've been working so hard with Hololens one and two, and actually getting market traction in businesses and military, right? They they've been focusing on let's turn this into a profitable business, or at least one that's uh, not a huge money loser uh, in the short term while they do this research. But will those uh, will those actually be applicable to the consumer devices that they actually you know will they make the right choices as far as what uh weight to hit and transparency in the device uh brightness and all those things will they will they get the right market fit i think the the thing that i guess kind of gets me on all this stuff is uh how many more years will these things be kept as business-focused devices and dev kits before more or less all of them come out at the same general consumer like sweet spot. They're all going to arrive I I would imagine they're all going to agree that these are dev kits until they all find oh yeah this is the field of view uh, that's minimum viable for this type of application and I just don't know how many more years. Is it. Is it end of decade before we actually get there? Is it next decade? I, I still feel like the road is so far before we get really compelling AR.
1: Yeah, the reports we've seen so far indicate that companies like Facebook and Apple intend to ship sometime between 2023 and 2025, their first kind of product that a normal consumer can buy. I think the question of Microsoft is, if they have this lucrative enterprise market and they kind of keep building into it and keep expanding it and if you look at Microsoft's company culture in recent years it has been very enterprise focused and they were able to become a tr- you know a trillion dollar company at one point mainly through these revenues from these large companies I wonder if Microsoft actually will decide to step in if you have Apple and Facebook fiercely competing because you know Apple and Facebook are companies that are much more used to delivering consumer products and, and Microsoft really hasn't had a consumer connection in in many years now so it's it's questionable whether they'll bother we could see a scenario where while facebook and apple compete for this consumer market microsoft just stays out and goes for enterprise then the question is you know could apple and facebook build up from there and and, and compete with them it's 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 difficult to tell
0: so I, I think the thing that i'm i'm losing here that i'm trying to get across also is that there's also the competitive pressure uh the 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 antitrust investigations and the government pressuring these companies perhaps not to acquire. So I I also wonder if the market is ripe for a Snapchat-sized company to arrive at the great product at the same time as Apple and Microsoft and Google, just because the others have to home-grow this technology as well and can't. You know, acquire their their suppliers anymore. Like I, I, <laughs> I, I don't know if there's a roof on their head on or a ceiling on how far they can actually acquire.
1: It. I think you know, mm. Apple acquired Aconia Holographics in 2018. Facebook uh, acquired Plessy last year, or was it 2019? I can't even tell. T- time was a blur in 2020 for some reason, but sometime <laughs> in the past 18 months to 24 months, Facebook acquired Plessy. I think, you know, the the thing about Facebook and Apple and the reason we're bringing up those two companies specifically is that they do seem to be the ones that are recognizing well, well in advance, years and years and years in advance that they did need to make these moves. I'm not sure if they kind of anticipated the regulatory market or that was just good luck on their part from their perspective. But, um... I don't think they're going to be challenged at this stage by not being able to make any more acquisitions. You know, we, we've mm-hmm. seen that Facebook is building out these huge new buildings for hardware research and development. And Apple is, is known to be spending a lot. We already know that Apple's product, sorry, we've, we've heard in reports that Apple's product is at the architecture stage. Apparently, you know, in the most recent reports we've seen, they're having trouble and it may come out to 2024, 2025 rather than the 2023 we expected but I, I don't think that that's going to be something where anyone's going to rush out and beat them. I think, I think as you say, they probably will likely converge at the same time because it's not even the field of view that's the problem in many ways. It's it's the compute. You know, we, we look at that Snapchat Spectacles, 30 minutes of battery life and a very, very low compute processor. Even if you can, you know, use future connectivity technology like widespread 5G, if it ever does get widespread enough to make this practical, to offload a lot of that computing power, even doing the tracking that has to be done locally, and all of the kind of input of whether you're going to hand track or voice track or kind of use some sort of controller, the the idea of putting that into into glasses that you know weigh seventy grams, as, as this chart would say, and are socially acceptable, and you know, as you say, don't produce so much heat that you can feel the side of your face burning as you're walking down a sunny <laughs> street. It's 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 genuinely like there are people in the industry who. The pessimists who say it's impossible—I I mean, we we can't evaluate whether that's true or not. We know that these companies clearly don't think it's impossible, but there are there are people, you know, who are experienced in this industry, people who have worked in AR as these primary suppliers, who 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 still claim that this is a pipe dream—the idea of these glasses. So, not only may it take may it take to the next decade, it may never happen at all. But speculating that far is just pointless, realistically
0: sure I, I think the thing I'm more curious about is uh, this VR headsets space of things when you get a quest level standalone that's able to do your full house scan you're basically able to walk it through every room of your house uh, and trust it to keep that information private but uh, also just get that full map of, of not just one room but four or five rooms as well as uh, some kind of smart understanding of what's in each of those rooms. This is the couch. This is the desk. These are my flat surfaces tables. Uh, you can specify also to the software. These are playable surfaces, right, where you, know, you could actually uh, put things on virtually. Um, and then you get a multiplayer sort of API out of that, a co-location API, where uh, I think I talked about this on another podcast, but uh, when you can have phasmophobia on your on your own house and walk from room to room with like various tools and ghost hunt and imagine your home as like haunted, that's an entirely different class of VR game. You've talked to me about this He, and kind of opened my, my brain to this, that when we have that type of game provided to us by virtual reality, and it becomes this mixed reality thing that we, we constantly talk about. When we have that, our, our, we're going to, I, I see that as like a whole new phase of the VR market. Like our minds are going to get opened up to the possibilities of just how great VR technology is. That we don't need, I, I'm not convinced we're going to need the great AR uh near term when we have such great experiences at home that that really encompass that dream right that that i just outlined phasmophobia with three friends walking through your house is going to be incredible but it's it's the software ecosystem that no one has even begun to tap
1: yeah it seems pretty clear that you know for all the pessimism around ar in the form of see-through optics like glasses AR, or, you know, as it's usually called in this context, though the terminology does not matter and let's not have a terminology discussion here. Mixed reality in these kind of headsets, VR style headsets, it seems pretty clear that the experience they will be able to deliver is going to be so much better than what AR glasses can deliver anytime soon. And it may be that while people are sitting waiting for these glasses to become these magical devices that can provide all these features, these kind of headsets are going to be able to do it far sooner this specifically is the lynx r1 it's actually a headset in development now from french company it uses the same snapdragon xr2 processor that's seen in the quest 2 but it pairs it with these higher resolution color cameras and the the battery is actually over there in the rear so what we see here is a device that is optimized to show you the real world in the same way that when you put on an Oculus Quest, you see that blurry black and white view. That's not going to last long as headsets can provide higher resolution color cameras and you have enough space to put in a large battery and enough space to put in a lot of computing power and to put in all of the components that you want to deliver the experience that people expect from these headsets. What you can do in that is just so much different than what can be done from AR glasses. And you don't have the challenges of having to pass through the real world. And you don't have the challenges of the fact that AR glasses can't actually display the color black because they can only add light, not really, you know, opacify it somehow. All of those challenges are going to be absent in these headsets. And it may turn out that these headsets are as much for mixed reality as they are for virtual reality in the long term and I'll just bring up a picture of a a through-the-lens view of this one. You know, you Mm -hmm. see here these completely opaque objects. And in the video, uh, I don't think we can bring it up right now, but in in the video, if you look it up, Lynx R1 footage, L-Y-N-X R1 footage, you'll be able to see that it doesn't suffer from all the problems that AR does. And immediately, naturally, because you are not looking through the real world, to be clear, this is not looking at the real world. This is a lens that is magnifying an LCD display, just like an Oculus Quest. It is pretty much you take an Oculus Quest, you take the plastic bits out at the side, you add a much bigger battery and high resolution color cameras, and boom, you have a mixed reality headset. That experience is going to deliver far beyond what AR glasses can do in the short term.
0: Hey, yeah, Greg, Greg's here saying, Zero desire to use my flat as the world for a game. Uh, and uh daniel uh, up above saying that uh where do you live a mansion three people in my house and be falling (laughs) over each other i like those comments because uh if you've never been to avoid which yeah i i think they're out of business but they they might have been bought out by someone and trying to come back but there's like sandbox vr and there's several of these other uh sort of location-based vr experiences but if you avoid experience was a very very small physical footprint for the the pretty magical experiences they were able to provide and as an example of like the things that they would do is you'd have this rail that would be just one foot in front of you and as long as you knew you couldn't go past that rail then everything beyond it could be part of the experience and so like they had a ghostbusters experience where you walk out here and it looks like it's the edge of a building and you can f- shoot at the giant marshmallow man on the other side there, who's just enormous right there. And you're you're taking your Ghostbusters uh, proton pack and trying to take out these these uh, flying monsters or the giant marshmallow man. But you can mess with uh, space in really really creative ways with. The wall's falling away if you assume that the person isn't actually going up to the wall or if you have a smart way of notifying them that's where their physical objects are. And in those experiences you would pack at the void four people into this super, super small place that is smaller than, a, than an average house. And it's just it's possible. Yes, you could be falling over each other, but that actually became part of the fun of the void was being packed into this close place with everyone else.
1: Which we could skip videos. Unfortunately, we can't skip forward in the videos in the studio yet. We'll,
0: we'll definitely can you explain what's happening, Any, for the audio listeners?
1: Yeah, uh, I was probably going to cut this part out for them. It's pro- probably not a good idea, but but I can explain it anyway. So here, here you can see that you take your own house. That is not what's actually above your ceiling, obviously. But you can, when you have a headset where you have total control over the pixels, that's a mixed reality headset. The end result can be manipulated. In whatever way you want as long as the system has enough computing power to do the computer vision here which is to just find out what are the different geometry shapes of your wall what would it look like if there was nothing there instead from each perspective and put that together there is almost infinite potential so even if you don't have this kind of large mansion that you can run around your window beside your wall could be changed to the kind of area where the enemies come and you may have to hide and duck behind your window while you hold a gun and and you look out to see the enemies here we see in a second the real point of this demo as the giant lifts up the person
0: Uh, among us is the game i kind of want provided by an experience like this where you could go into each bedroom and each room of your house and sort of specify, this is the area where I want the task for this room to be. And if you've got four or uh, six people even in the house uh, and you (laughs) specify no running because you don't want to be chasing people from room to room, uh, uh, but you you could walk up to a person with a phone and tap them on the shoulder and that's effectively killing them in the Among Us game. And you could have a really really incredible uh experience where like there is a task in each room and you see the tasks happen outside of your virtual window uh, and when a person comes up behind you they they look suspicious because they're standing uh, in a spacesuit looking at you and they they come up and tap you with their phone and you're dead uh, and you've got to go to like the loading area and you disappear from everyone else's view like you can no longer see them because they're a ghost now. these games are are completely that they, they feel like they could be doable with the right software development kit uh powering the right kind of hardware and I, I think I think that's where we're gonna get even before we get the really great AR glasses outside for the real world. All right. Uh any last comments that we should respond to, Heaney?
1: I'm checking now. i um Yeah, Anakazi says the Void was a very bespoke experience. To do that kind of thing procedurally is another level. And and yeah, you're right. The the kind of experiences we're showing and talking about here, to be able to deliver that in anyone's house, even though people's houses can be wildly different in shape and configuration and amount of space, that is the major challenge. But we've seen projects like Unity Mars, Unity M-A-R-S, if you want to look it up, start to tackle that and say, how do we build games that are dynamic and procedural where the game isn't designed around a specific environment, but around different kinds of environment. And it's going to be a big challenge and it's going to be interesting to see what developers build, but it's definitely not something to rule out and it's something you should keep an eye on if you want to track the future of mixed reality and virtual reality.
0: Mm, I almost wonder, it's kind of a long shot, but you know, Facebook has such a long way to catch up to all these things. But I've, I've always wondered like, when will we get your fans and a fan? I guess the fan is the big one, but temperature control provided by your environment. Uh, Facebook has a lot of catching up to do in terms of the home. Uh, And Apple has, Apple and Google have done so much work to try to like take over your home devices and be able to control lighting and environment of your house. Nest uh, is owned by Google, obviously But, like, when you can maybe – that's one of the things that The Void does so impressively is weather control, where you, like, walk into a room with a wall gone, and it's in a skyscraper. They have fans, physical fans blowing on you that make you feel on your arms uh, like you're actually cold and standing on the edge of of a uh, building. I I want to see that done – with VR in my house, I want to have those types that. of fans and experiences. But you can only do it if you if you're inside the wireless router and able to control your home devices. There's, I, I'm I'm curious when do you think we'll ever get to a case where enough people have VR that they'll it'll start reshaping what people put in their homes uh, in terms of like buying certain types of furniture or certain types of Weather climate devices. Are we going to get? Is the market going to get big enough that you're going to buy a fan that's Oculus connected?
1: So there actually was a Kickstarter a few years ago for a fan like that. I'm not sure if it shipped, but I remember trying out a few USB fans, and there was a an experience back in 2014 where you could connect it to your computer. I'm not even sure how it actually wor- how how the experience connected to the fan, but but it did work. You could plug in a USB fan, and it would turn on and off. It was an Oculus DK2 experience. As, mm-hmm. as to whether in the long term, we'll see kind of home decisions driven around these headsets i mean it's 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 obviously incredibly difficult to predict that far in the future or even make statements about that, and we have to put that disclaimer in front of anything we say but i would I would say absolutely yes, if you look back at the twentieth century and you look at how television was adopted and how then, as its adoption reached a certain level, it started to dictate living room design and home design. I can't Mm. see any reason why the same cultural forces wouldn't apply to VR, especially given how much the space around you and where you're putting this in a home has on the experience. I don't think it's crazy to say that in in a few decades, we could even see many new homes shipped with rooms that are kind of just open and designed for these kind of experiences, especially if the fitness use cases of virtual reality start to take off even more than we're seeing them currently with with lighter weight headsets. Hmm
0: all right i think that wraps it up we kind of got going there a little bit we went a longer than our normal episode here talking about uh, all these exciting things thank you so much for tuning in with us and join us and later this week we should have our games cast we've got all of the stories that we talked about and more up at uploadvr.com check with us every day please like subscribe become a member and support us in the work that we do uh we want to be the uh best most accurate source for information about this industry for years to come and your support will help us do that so thank you so much uh thank you for joining us Heaney, and uh, we'll see you next week thank you so much oh wait not next week next week is a holiday so we'll probably be back in two weeks or on tuesday what did we decide I, I actually cannot
1: remember what we decided i would have to look back on it but you make the decision right now two weeks or tuesday <laughs> next
0: week it's all, it, I. I I think we'll probably be back next Tuesday and we'll enjoy our national holidays here in the countries where we actually reside. And then uh, I think we'll be back next Tuesday. Thank you so much. We'll see you in the future.
1: Thanks so much to everyone for tuning in and commenting.